How many were here last week? We had a great Mother's Day service, amen? A lot of great testimonies. And in fact, I know some of you are saying we had a great Mother's Day service because I didn't preach. <laughs> I, see, you're all laughing. I know, I know. Well, you're going to get it today. <laughs> Since we're not having graduation today, we're going to do Mother's Day sermon. Because it, this one is not, and you're going to find out, it's not a Proverbs 31 Mother's Day sermon. How many realize that moms have a tremendous effect on your life? Good or bad, right? Good or bad, moms have a tremendous effect. How many have ever watched that? We've mentioned before that show, Long Lost Family. It's, where, it's, a, it's a show where usually it's adoptive, grown adoptive children who are looking for their biological parents. Sometimes it's the other way around, that the parents are looking for the child. Sometimes it's siblings looking for one another. But most often, it's the adult children looking for their mother. They want to know why they ever given up for adoption. And almost always in every case, it was a reasonable reason. Young mother, no means of support, all that kind of stuff. And usually the show ends in hugs, tears, sometimes remorse. But the, the main thing about that is even an absent mother plays an important role in an adult child's life. Now, usually these sermons are uplifting and encouraging. You know, Mother's Day sermons talk about Proverbs 31. They talk about Mary and Jesus. Or This ain't going to be one of those. This is hopefully going to be encouraging. We're going to see what God says about situations that may not be perfect. They may not be the, the white picket fence image that we get. There's an author called Jen Peterson, and she says this. Not everyone is happy on Mother's Day. Not everyone is a mother. Not everyone has a mother. But God is still God, and he is able to fill that void. How many of remember the uh, Leave it to Beaver, Father Knows Best TV shows, where you had that image of the mom all throughout the day wearing a dress, pearls, Anybody do that today? Anybody ever do that, actually? Well, we have an image of what a perfect mother should be. We have an image of the 2.5 kids, the perfect house, everything's clean, out of, not out of order. You know, if you look at those old TV shows, there was never a toy laying around. There was never dirty dishes in the sink. Totally unrealistic of how things are right now. And every young mother, and every, every mother in period said, amen. So we're going to look at situations that the Bible addresses that we consider not the norm, not the perfect scenario. The first one is, maybe you grew up without a mom. Genesis 35, verse 14 says, Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. He then poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. Jacob called this place Bethel, house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Leaving Bethel, they traveled on to Ephrath, not that is uh, Bethlehem, but Rachel's pains of childbirth began while they were still some distance away. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally explained, don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die. 
But her last breath, she named him Ben-Oni. The baby's father, however, changed it to Benjamin. Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over her grave, and it can be seen to this day. She never got to really hold her baby. And Benjamin, if you remember the story, Joseph and Benjamin were the two favorite of Jacob. Why? Because he had a better relationship with Rachel. How many of us know families where the mom was taken too early? They didn't have a mother around. They had maybe a single dad or no, no parental influence. If you search the Bible, you'll find that God has a special place for those who, for whatever reason, did not have a mother figure. It's a situation we don't like to face, but the Bible tells us that these things happen. How many, when you read the Bible, it, you understand that the Bible is not just a nice fairy tale, but it's a reality book of things that actually happened, hard situations, difficult lives for people who still serve God. And we see that in almost every chapter we read. Psalm 27.10 says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Now, we know and we account God as being masculine, correct? But God, in various psalms and parts of the Bible, refers to him in the, in the feminine sense. And now, I think about this for a moment. Now, I'm not saying this is true. This is just a, a thought that I had. When the Bible says that God created man and woman. He created them in his image. So if he created woman in his image, that seems to say that God has a feminine side to him, to give that. Now I'll give you an example. So Isaiah 66, 13 says, this is God speaking. He says, I will comfort you there as a child is comforted by his mother. God has the ability to fill the void, whether it's a dad or a mother, because God has that characteristic in him. So when he says this in um, Psalm 68, 5, he says he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That is God whose dwelling is holy. When God's a fatherless to the, fa a father to the fatherless, he also is able to fill the void of a mother who is absent. However, it requires us to trust him. If your mom was absent for whatever reason, God is able and willing to fill the void if we allow him. The second thing is maybe you sacrificed raising your child so their lives could be better. Maybe you placed your child up for adoption. Exodus 2, verse 1, it says, During this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The women became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw what a beautiful baby he was and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of piperous reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. The baby's sister stood there at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Now we've talked about adoption before. Adoption is God's idea. God adopted us into his family. So we hear the phrase unwanted in reference to babies. That phrase is a lie. No such thing as an unwanted. It may be unwanted by one person, but it doesn't mean it's unwanted. 
God has a plan for each, each and every baby. Most adoptions occur because the mom or parents realize that their current life situations are such that the baby would have a much better life with another parent, another family. Going back to the Long Lost Family TV show, all the parents who gave up their child for adoption, almost everyone that we have watched, never stopped caring about the child they gave up, but realized their situation determined that it was better for the child if someone else raised him because of their current life situation. And isn't that what parents in general do? We sacrifice what is best for us in order to raise children. It no longer becomes about us. It's about what we are able to give to them. And sometimes the best thing we can give to them is somebody else. And even the, the, the parents in the show, even at an older age, they understand that it was still the best decision because most of the children that are looking for their parents, they will tell you it had a good life. They had a great life growing up and they realized that the life they would have had had they stayed there would not have been as good as the one they had. The mom who gives up the baby for adoption knows that the baby's gonna be loved and better cared for and presumably has a better life. And the adoptive mom is also blessed Exodus 2.5 says, Soon after this, one of Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe in the river, and her servant girls walked along the riverbanks. When the princess saw the little basket among the reeds, she told one of her servant girls to go get it for her. As the princess opened it, she found the baby. This is the adoptive mom. His helpless cries touched her heart. When you are able to give that life up for something that you know is better for that baby, believe that the person receiving that baby is also going to be blessed. Adoption is God's plan. It's his idea. The third mom that was in, didn't have it perfect, perfect is experienced great loss. The book of Ruth gives us a story of how God blessed Ruth and caused her to prosper, right? We know the story of Ruth and how her life was blessed. But what did it take to get to that point? Naomi's husband and two sons died. All that happened, and God worked it around for good for Ruth. But it took a lot of pain to get there. Ruth 1.20 says, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why should you call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy. As a mother, do you ever feel this way? You may not have had that, that bad of an experience, but you, have you ever felt that God has caused your life to suffer? That the things in your life are happening to you because God has forgotten you, God has left you, God is causing this stuff to happen. Naomi thought all of that. She says, the Lord caused me to suffer. The Almighty sent a tragedy. Guess what? If you feel that way, or if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. Other people have felt that way. It may be your family. It may be your extended family. It may be your parents. 
Maybe you've experienced a tremendous loss in your family. And we talked about not having a mom, but maybe you've went through a divorce. Maybe you, your children are running astray. Maybe they're not serving God. Maybe they're really in trouble. You've experienced a loss. During the time of suffering, you feel like it's not going to end. You feel like it's, that God's really abandoned you because things aren't going the way you think they, could, they should. Anna is reading a book, great title. It's not supposed to be this way. You ever think that? My life isn't supposed to be this way. It shouldn't have worked out this way. Things should have been a little different. But no one's life is really the way they picture it when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. Even in Naomi's suffering, even when she was going through the struggle, she was allowed to be an encouragement to Ruth. She was fulfilling what God had planned for her to do. She allowed the suffering to affect her, but not affect her relationship with Christ, not, or God at that point, and not affect her ability to mentor someone else. In fact, I was reading, I was listening to a podcast the other day, actually by the lady who wrote this book that Anna's reading, about how suffering has caused her to open up her life and still be able to minister through that suffering to somebody else. And it's exactly what Ruth did. Ruth was able to, you know the story, get around to where he was supposed to be, or she was supposed to be. Titus, in fulfilling her role, Naomi did what, what Titus was telling us now in the New Testament. Titus 2.4 says, These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to live wisely and be pure, to take care of their homes, to do good, and be submissive to her husbands. Then they will bring, not bring shame to the word of God. And there's all kinds of humor found in that verse, is there not? You know, we, we should camp on that for a moment. What do you think? Be submissive to their husbands. That's another day. Okay. Even though Naomi was upset with God, she did not let those feelings drive her away from her faith. You know, how many have ever been upset with God? Nobody, nobody here, right? Never been mad at God for anything, right? That's the church down the street. That's not us. Well, in the off chance that you may have been mad with God, have you ever told him you were mad at him? How many know that even if you don't verbalize it, he knows. He knows. Have you ever, when your kids were, I don't know, teenagers or whatever, and, and you knew something was bugging them, and they were like, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Now, I used to be a, a jerk, maybe, or a nag, I guess is a better word. I would go around picking at them. What's wrong? What's wrong? Come on, what's wrong? What's wrong? Until they finally got to the point where they exploded and they told me what was wrong. I knew something was wrong, but I wanted them to say it. I wanted them to get off their chest, say it. And sometimes when we carry around these things like Naomi did, sometimes you just want to get it off your chest and say it to God. And since God already knows how you feel, it allows you to vent. Psalm 142, we talked about that a long time ago. Venting to God. When God knows 
what's in your heart and how you feel and how upset you are, you're not telling him anything he doesn't know when you actually verbalize it. And sometimes when you verbalize it, it does make you feel better because you're actually saying what you're mad about. And here's, a, here's a, another thing. Have you ever really thought something was really bad or something was really strange and then you verbalize it and as you're saying it, it's not as bad as you thought it was. When you actually say the words and you think, well, I, I guess that was kind of dumb. I shouldn't have been mad at that. When you verbalize something, it gets it off your chest and it allows you to hear yourself say what is wrong. And sometimes when you say something, it's like, yeah, that was really dumb. That's really a dumb reason to be upset. Well, verbalizing is what Naomi did, but she still was able to be a mentor to Ruth. She did not let that anger, the upsetness, and what she felt about God stop her from doing what she knew she needed to do. Ruth 4.13. It says, So Boaz married Ruth and took her to her home to live with him. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. And the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has given you a family redeemer today. May he be famous in Israel. May this child restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you so much and who has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took care of the baby and cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. The suffering that she endured did not stop her from serving God. She vented the God, she told him how she felt, and yet she was able to still steer Naomi to do what she know, knew Naomi had to do. And what happened? God honored her for that. You remember the story when uh, she was having that discussion with her two daughters-in-law, and she said, you know, I can't, I can't get married again. I can't have another child for him to grow up and you to marry. You'll be too old by then. And she said it wouldn't work out that way. But what happens? God blesses her. Ruth has a son. And Naomi, it says, was able to raise and care for him as her own. And that son became the grandfather of David. God honored her faith even though she was still upset, venting, and mad at God because she suffered a great loss. It's, it's possible to suffer loss and still be used by God, and still be blessed in the end. I mean, Job's a perfect example. How often or how much did he suffer, and yet God honored him in the end of that book? The fourth thing the Bible talks about, maybe you are a single mom, and your life is difficult. Now, the first two things about this, before we read the paragraph, when Hagar found out she was pregnant by Abraham, her hard life started. What happened? She was being harassed by Sarah, correct? And what did she do first? In Genesis 16, 6, Abraham replied, Since she was your servant, you may deal with her as you see, see fit. So Sarah, or Sarai, treated her harshly, and Hagar ran away. First off, we know she got in the situation because Sarah and Abraham goofed up. They sinned. They didn't wait for God to do what he was going to do, so they jumped in, tried to help God out. You ever try to help God out? How's that work for you? Most often than not, when you try to help God out, not so well. There was a sign I used to see in a, in a mechanic's garage that says, you know, hourly wages or hourly cost. $10 an hour. 
if you watch, $15 an hour. If you help, $20 an hour. The key was, we don't need your help. We can do it fine. In fact, when you get in to start doing something, you're going to mess it up. I watch a lot of these car restoration shows, and when they bring the cars into professionals, after having done some of the work themselves in their own garage, they realize that the work that they did made the situation worse when they brought the car to the professional. So sometimes when we help God out, trying to get ahead of God, it doesn't work out so well, and it's exactly what happened to Abraham and Sarah. And so Hagar gets pregnant, and in the middle of a difficult situation, because it was tough, what did she do? She ran away. She left the situation. And when she left the situation, she ultimately left God behind. She wanted a quick out. She wanted an easy out. It's a split-second decision. I'm just going to get out of the situation and quit the, the hardship. I'm going to leave. And usually those decisions made in the heat of the moment rarely turn out well. What does God tell Hagar right after that in chapter 16, verse 7? It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, mistress, he replied. Then the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. If you stick it out as a single mom, don't make rash decisions in the middle of a hard situation. God will take care of you in the situation. Don't do things that you think will help you right now, but you know God is not in the middle of. It's easy to look, if you're a single mom, to look at situations that will maybe ease the pain for a moment, but in the long run is not exactly what God wants for you. It's easy to look at that and say, you know, I want to out of the situation. I'm going to do this, marry this guy, or get out of the situation and, and do something that is worse for you than if you stick it out. The second aspect of that is in Genesis 21. It says, so Abram got up early the next morning, prepared food for the journey, and strapped a container of water to Hagar's shoulders. He sent her away with their son, and she walked out of the wilderness of Beersheba, wandering aimlessly. When the water was gone, she left the, babe, or the, boy, in the, shade of the, uh, the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went away and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, and she burst into tears. You know, it seems kind of rough in that situation where God says, send him away now. So she's a single mom in the middle of the desert with no provision, nothing to hope for. She thinks her baby is going to eventually die because she has nothing for him. Maybe you're a single mom. You're by yourself. Kids are little. There's a lot of them running around, and you don't think life's going to get any better for you. In fact, you think it's going to get worse. What did we say earlier? God is a father to the fatherless. God is able to make up the difference. That means if you teach your children about God, stick with it. Don't bail. Don't, do, don't make a rash, quick decision. Stay with God. Stick with him, and I promise you, God will fill the void, make up the difference. There's a family back home, friends of ours, their kids are all grown and gone now, but 
she was a single mom for five kids, I think, for as long as we knew her. But she was faithful. She was in church. Those kids were always in church. And to this day, as far as I can tell from her Facebook posts, all those kids are serving God. And she had it rough. She had it rough growing up. Anna's mom, single mom, faithful, did everything right, didn't make dumb decisions in the middle of the heat of the moment, and all her kids grew up right. You know, it's, I, make, I make fun of her because I, I look at her extended family. How did they turn out so normal? How are they such good people because the rest of her family are nuts? Now, I can say that about mine too, but the difference is the mom who was in charge of the kids. Single mom, didn't let the situation drag her down, didn't make a rough decision. She beat the odds. You serve God as a single parent. God, if you're faithful, you're in church, you raise your kids up, God will fill the void. But you have to let him. The Bible says that God not only hears your cries, he hears the heart of your kids in that situation too, in Genesis 21. It says, then God heard the boy's cries, and the angel of God called to Hagar from the sky, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries from the place where you laid him. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from him to his descendants. When you pray with your kids at night, going to bed, God hears the prayers of your kids. He hears their heart. Encourage them to tell God what's on their mind. Maybe they're struggling as a single, with a single mom. Have them talk to God. The Bible says God hears them and he answers them. You don't have to be an adult for God to answer you. God hears the cries of this little boy and God intervenes in the situation. Lastly, whether you are a mom or a grandma or a great-grandma, you will have an effect on your children. As I said at the beginning, the effect will either be good or bad. Now, we're talking about on Wednesday night um, the, you know, Case for Faith book. And the chapter we're in now, we just finished up on Wednesday, or started on Wednesday, was how can a loving God cause children to die? Or actually, tell them to kill them. Look in the Old Testament. When God told Israel to go into a nation, he said, wipe out everybody, right? Men, women, children, animals, wipe them all out. And so the, the answer, the, the question was, how can we honor a God who does that, who says wipe out children? And the response, if you know who Norman Geisler is, he was a pretty good apologetist, apologist back in the day, still is. But he, his point was this, children will almost always, oh, how do you phrase it? Their, their fate is determined by their parents. In other words, if you're a bad parent, chances are pretty good your kids are gonna be bad kids. If you're an alcoholic, pretty good chance your kids are gonna be alcoholics. If, you're, if your husband's a wife abuser, pretty good chance your son's gonna be a wife abuser. All, your, your parents determine who you are as a child. And what his point was, when these children grow up, they are gonna be at their they're going to be just like their parents. 
They're going to be just as, as bad as the rest of the Philistines or the Amalekites or whoever they were. And the second thing he pointed out was if God took their lives before the age of accountability, those children would be in heaven. Rather than growing up to not serve God and be at Israel's, as a, Israel's enemy. And we made the, the point that God is the one who gave life. God has the authority to take that life. We didn't create life, so we have no authority to take it. God created it. God is able to take it. So the point of that is, if you are a parent, grandma, grandpa, you are going to have an effect on your child, good or bad. Dobson says more is caught than taught. In other words, your kids are going to be like you are, not like you say or not what you tell them to do. They're going to mimic your actions. They're going to mimic what you say, what you do, because they see it. Regardless of what you tell them, they're going to act like you act. How many of you, when you actually say something or do something, you see your parents coming out of your mouth? <laughs> when my kids were little, I would start correcting them, and I would say things to them. And as I was saying the words, I could picture my dad just speaking right through my mouth. <laughs> Everything he said to me come out of my mouth. How I reacted to things, exactly like my dad. If you would see us walking down the street, we, we walk the same. We used to talk the same. It's all the same because why? You learn from your parents. You are, you will become your parents. And young people, you're going to be like your mom. Like it or not, you're going to be like your mom. And every child hates to hear that when they're little. But when they get older, as we heard the testimonies last week, they love their moms now. Even though they were a little off the beaten path when they were younger. They realized what a good mom was, and a good mom isn't the one who gives you everything you want and everything you need, or everything you ask for. The modeling that was done for Timothy by his mother and grandmother made him into the person of faith that Paul knew him to be, 2 Timothy 1. It says, I know that you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. From all accounts, Tim's father was not a believer. He was a Greek. He was not, a, not an Israelite. He was not a believer. But even though dad wasn't a believer, mom and grandma were able to influence him for God. It's possible to raise children in a home where one is a believer. But the point is, the thing you have to do is you have to stick with it. You know, I've talked about unequally yoked, marrying someone who's not a believer. Because what eventually happens in that situation is you're eventually going to start parting ways. A person who doesn't believe is going to gravitate toward a way things that aren't Christian, and you're going to want to stick with the Christian. And what's going to happen is there's going to be conflict. The conflict is going to be one of two things. You're either going to constantly fight about the situation and stick with going to church or whatever, or you're going to give in to get peace and not have the argument. I can tell you that because that's the way we were. She was a Christian. I wasn't. And there were times where she would actually tell me, please don't come to church. I want to have a good time at church. Because I would complain and moan and cry, you know, cry about it the whole way home and just criticize everything. 
And she just say, please stay home. I want to enjoy it. And what happens is now you want to start tithing. She wants to tithe. No, I'm not tithing. We want to send our kids to a Christian school. I'm not sending my kids to a Christian school. And what happens is you either give in to avoid the fight or you, you stick it out and you stay with God. And more often than not, what happens is to, they give in to avoid the conflict. And you, don't, you quit going to church and you quit praying, you quit reading, you quit doing all those things because you want to have peace in your home. It is possible to raise kids for God if only one of you is a Christian, but you have to be able to stick with it. You have to be able to endure it. I said before, moms, kids will become how you act, not what you say. Now, I, and I, was, I was putting this together a week or so ago for Mother's Day, and I, I looked at all my old sermons from Mother's Day, and they're all basically the same thing. And even on Mother's Day, it's difficult. I, I belong to a, a, a group on Facebook about, you know, preachers. And one of the preachers asked a question, are you preaching a Mother's Day sermon on Mother's Day? And you get about a 50-50 split. Some of them are, some of them aren't. And the reason the ones aren't going to do it is because they don't want to hurt people who aren't moms. They don't want to have uh, ladies whose kids are gone astray feel bad. And it's, it's hard to mix that together because there's always going to be people that are receptive to what you say, and there's going to be people that it doesn't apply to. And I thought, well, let's look at the issues in the Bible where it may apply to everyone, because everyone has a mom. Whether you are a mom or not, everybody has one. And maybe your mom falls into one of those categories, and you either have a great opinion of your mother or not a great opinion of your mother. Or maybe you are a mother, and you fall into one of these categories where it's not, not easy, it's not perfect, not the way that we like to portray it all the time in church work. The whole point is, God understands each and every situation, whether it's perfect, whether it's not perfect, whether it's what you think is terrible. God is able to get you through it. God is able to still honor you and your faith. God is able to raise your kids up to serve God in spite of what may be going on. Maybe you had a great mom. Not perfect. Well, you know what? Thank God for the great mom you had. John 16, says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The good news is Christ is able to navigate you through every, every situation. And it's not like your situation is brand new and unique to you. It happened in the Bible, and it's happened every generation since then. God is able to get you through it. Maybe you lost your mom at whatever age. There was a, a young family in our church whose mother died when they were, kids were early teens, maybe late, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. And the kids struggled for a while. But the dad was faithful. And now that they're adults, they're both serving God. 
It's possible to do. Maybe you were adopted, or maybe you were the one who allowed someone else to adopt your child. Guess what? God was in the middle of that as well. If you're a single mom, stick with it. Don't let circumstances or situations think that your life will be easier if you draw away from God. Or if you do something that you feel may help you for right now, but in the long run isn't. Stick it out. You will be blessed. I was talking to someone this morning about how joyful it is to have teenagers. It is such a joy and a thrill and a blessing. You're all laughing because you know that's a lie. You just can't wait for them to grow up and get out of the house. (laughs) Dobson calls that era the dark side of the moon. If you remember the old Apollo missions, they used to be on TV all the time. When the astronauts would go on the backside of the moon, they lost all communication with them. There was no communication between NASA and the Apollo capsule when it was on the backside of the moon. Once it came around the other side, communication was restored. And he says the teenage years are, are the dark side of the moon. There's like, you can't, they, they speak a different language. You might as well be talking Greek to them. They don't understand anything. But eventually, when they come around 20, 21, 22, whatever, Sometimes it's 40, but usually it's at 22. They finally, you can actually talk to them. You, it's amazing how smart you parents become when your child turns 22. All this information you suddenly amassed in your mind that you never had before, and now that you do. That just means stick it out. That, that dark side of the moon will end at some point trust God he'll get you through it and when you feel like you want to throttle your child it's okay take a breath back up and know that God's got it God knows how your kid feels God knows how you feel God will get you through it you just have to trust him to do it would you stand this morning If you'd bow your head for a moment with me. As we mentioned earlier, everyone has a mom. And maybe your mom wasn't the best. Maybe your mom tried as hard as she could, but it just wasn't enough. Maybe your mom experienced a lot of loss like Naomi did. And maybe there are reasons behind her actions. Maybe you're a mom. And you're experiencing loss. Whether your child is little or your child is an adult. Maybe they don't serve God. Maybe they don't talk to you. God is still in the middle of that situation. Jesus told a parable about a camel going through the eye of a needle. I used to believe that was a door on the side of the wall, but technically that parable 
was literal. It's impossible for someone to get saved, just as, just as impossible it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But the Bible says, with God, anything, anything is possible. So that child, that parent, that mom, or maybe you as a mom, you don't think they're ever going to come to serve God. Well, God is the God of the impossible. God is the God who can make that camel go through that eye of a needle. God can step into your life, into your child's life, and he can change it. God is still the God of miracles. God is still the God of restoration. God is the God who said, I want all people to be saved. We hear stories every time new life comes of how people who are down at the bottom of the drug situation, God reached down, delivered them from that, and set them on a path, and their life is now great because they serve God. Our book on Wednesday night, Lee Strobel, was an atheist hardcore. God stepped into his life, saved him. All that to say this. If you're a mom, God knows exactly where you are, and God is able to meet every need that you have. He can do what you think is impossible. He can also change you. The Holy Spirit can change who you are. Maybe as your mom, you don't like how you react to things. God is able to change you from the inside out. There's nothing that God can't do. Before we pray, we've got to ask. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really committed your life to Christ. You're not really sure about this. You've heard it. Maybe a lot of times, maybe you've been in church a lot of times. Or maybe this is your very first time in any church. And as Keith said at the beginning, no one is here by accident. It's by providence of God that you're here because of something that was said, sung, talked about. Something is here that God wanted you to hear. And he knew you would only hear it by being in this building this morning. And the reason that God does that is because God wants a relationship with you personally, one-on-one. If you feel that draw from God, if you feel that, that you're thinking about God, the Bible says you're thinking about God because God is making you think about him. And God wants you to have that relationship so much that he's done everything to get your attention, to put you in the right place, to open your ears and your eyes and your spirit now it's up to you you have to choose the bible says jesus says i stand at the door and knock if you open it i will come into your life so right now jesus is knocking on the door of your heart but you have to open the door if that's you and you really want to 
check this Jesus thing out. You see it, but you've not experienced it for yourself, and you want to. You want to know. I want you to raise your hand right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have transformed me. You've transformed the people that are here. Your Holy Spirit is able to fill every void we have, every struggle we go through. And as parents, as moms in particular, you're able to meet whatever is necessary in their lives to make them feel and know that they are used by God and successful in their parenting. Father, I pray your blessings upon all the moms here, all those who have moms. Allow us, Jesus, to focus on the blessing that you've given us. Parenting is your idea. Parenting was orchestrated by God. Help us to be the best that we can be at it to lead our kids to you. Regardless of the situation we're in, Lord, we know that you're able to fill the gap. When things don't go the way we've planned, we know that you're able to make up that difference. You're able to be the father to the fatherless, and you're able to be a mom to those who need a mom. Father, we love you today, and we're so glad that you've changed us and given us so many blessings. Now, Lord, be with us as we leave today. Help us to leave a little bit changed when we walked in this morning. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone shout it. Amen. 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 Have a tremendous week.